good morning, everyone. My name's Nathaniel. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm part of the team here. And isn't it such a great blessing that we can come together, we can praise the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can unpack His Word, we can celebrate with meaningful moments, like with Jesse as he professes his faith and is baptized. It's so great to be able to do all of this as a church family. Now, I would like to tell you a story to open about uh, myself and an adventure I went on with someone from my genetic family, my, my little sister Abby and I. A couple of years ago, we went on a trip over to Europe. We took a month. It was a great time. And about halfway through, we were in France, in Paris. Uh, and as happens on a month-long trip, we needed to do some washing. So we go, we're in a hotel in Paris, they didn't have a laundry in the hotel there that we could use, but they pointed us down this alley, like a couple hundred meters down, they said, down there's a laundromat, the locals all use it, go down there, you can do your washing there. And so we get our big bag of washing, and we you know, go down this dark, dingy alley, and we end up at this laundromat, and it's a bit sketchy, and there's lots of unfriendly faces, and a language we can't speak, and there's this little pub next door, and there's all these guys sitting outside, having their drinks, and sort of looking at us strangely, and... We did not feel particularly welcome or comfortable, so we get in there and we put a load of washing in the machine and sort of sit there on our phones and everyone's looking at us weirdly as as we're waiting for the washing. And then the machine stops, halfway through the cycle, stops, all covered in suds, and we couldn't get the door open. It had locked our washing in there, and we're going, oh man, this this is not good. There's no one friendly here, we're not welcome here, there's something's gone wrong, what what are we going to do? Anyway, just then, this lovely looking old French lady walks in with her washing and she sees us clearly not particularly comfortable, and she comes over, and she can't speak like any English, maybe two words, but with Google Translate, we explain to her what's gone wrong, and and she goes, she'll fix it, she'll fix it, and she goes next door to the pub and drags out this guy who runs the laundromat and gets him to break open the machine, and, and she gets him to put it into a different machine and get the load started again, and she goes, okay, while that's running, you know, through Google Translate, come with me, come with me. We follow her down this dingy dark alleyway again, and she brings us to her, to her husband. He runs a little gift shop down the road, and he can speak good English. And he translates for us and explains, oh, she's so glad she could help, and she'd love to take us to go get some food at her favorite restaurant. And so we do that. We go with her down, down, this, down this alley again, and we find this restaurant, and she shows us the best food to get at this little Chinese takeout. It was delicious. And she takes us back again and, and gets the same guy from the laundromat to like give us a free, a free dry cycle because of all the, all the fuss and bother. In that unwelcoming place, unfamiliar place, it was such a blessing to come across someone who is kind and generous and hospitable and caring. And the passage we'll be unpacking today, 3 John, sits in a very similar context because a group of early missionaries going around the early church, had a very similar experience to that. They were left feeling in a very similar way to to how we did. This group of missionaries, they'd actually been trained by the Apostle John, Jesus' beloved disciple who had walked with Jesus. They'd been sent out to encourage churches to build them up in faith and to help more people, to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. So they went to church, church to church, and, and then... In this one church, they came, they came up, but they were rejected. They, they were kicked out of the church because there was a man called Diotrephes. Now, he was, he was a self-centered leader who had taken control of the church and was almost turning it into a cult all built on himself, and he refused to accept these missionaries, kicked them back out onto the street again. But 
the missionaries, by God's providence, came across a man named Gaius. Now, Gaius was actually an old friend of the Apostle John's. Gaius welcomed them in. He gave them a place to stay. He fed them. He equipped them. He sent them back to John with all they needed for for the journey. And they got back to John, and, and he was overjoyed to hear that his good friend Gaius hadn't been sucked in with Diotrephes' leadership, but was still loving and following Jesus. Now, these missionaries, they needed to go, needed to go back through Gaius' home city on their next journey. So John sends them back, and he sends with them a letter, a little short, sharp letter to his friend Gaius, encouraging Gaius to continue in faith. Now, as John wrote that letter, the Holy Spirit worked in him, guided his words, and God preserved them as part of his word in the Bible. Through the Holy Spirit, these are alive and active, and they work in our hearts and lives today with lessons which are important for all Christians through all time. Maybe you're not a Christian, and you're not sure about these lessons for Christians. Well, if that's you, they give you insight into how we seek to live and how we seek to welcome one another as Christians. I'm not sure if you've ever considered the many commands that the Bible gives about hospitality to others, especially to others who know and to love Jesus. That's actually a command. Take, for example, in Hebrews 13, verse 2, it's commanded to welcome and to care for other believers. I wonder what would happen if you had a full, busy life and things weren't going too good, even in in your church life, for example, and some other Christians in need showed up. Others who, maybe, maybe other people in the community weren't willing to help or to welcome or support. What would your response be? You know, would, would you take on an extra load, an extra burden to care for them, to, to equip them, to resource them? Well, the letter of Third John helps us to not only understand what we should do, but why we should do that, why we should care for others and make that intentional choice. It's a letter of encouragement to continue walking in the truth, even when others aren't. It's the shortest book of the Bible as well. It's only 15 verses long, the shortest book in the whole Bible. Let's have a look at that letter now, letter of 3 John. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open up there. It's just before Revelation, right towards the end of the Bible. I'm reading from the NIV here. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. 
he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is spoken well of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. The shortest book of the New Testament, a short, sharp, personal encouragement for a faithful Christian to continue welcoming and supporting other believers. We also need to be encouraged in our Christian life, and we need to be reminded to continue supporting the wider body of Christ. And from 3 John, we're going to gain insight, encouragement, and instruction on how we can build one another up and how we can support other believers as they work in the gospel. This letter has three distinct sections in it. Each of them is marked by that repeated address there, dear friend. Let's look at each one of them together and what John has to say there. First, John begins with a greeting and encouragement to his friend Gaius. He says, dear friend, you are faithful in truth. Now, the, the address there was, to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth. This truth is a key concept for John, all through the letters that he writes. We have three of those letters preserved, plus his gospel, the story of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. And this truth refers to the gospel message of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and how he calls us to respond. John recognizes Gaius as more than just a dear friend who he gets along well with and, and loves and cares about, but as a dear friend whom he loves in the truth. They are bound, they are united by this truth, this good message of who Jesus is, of what he has done. They are walking in that together. John recognizes that Gaius is more than a friend and rejoices that he's walking in the truth. And so he begins by sharing with Gaius what he's been praying about for Gaius. He has been praying that Gaius may have good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, strangely, this verse is often taken out of context to say that when someone's doing well spiritually, that they should then do well physically, that their health should just match wherever they are at spiritually, right? That interpretation doesn't fit the message at all. You just have to look at briefly at the context there to realize that John is addressing someone who he loves and cares about in the Lord, who is doing really well spiritually, but who needs prayer for their physical health. John wouldn't be praying for his health to become well if it already was good. Now, that's a deep encouragement for us because maybe you or, or someone else you love in the truth is struggling with poor physical health, or maybe has been for a long time, despite loving God and praying that He would provide healing so you can work effectively for His gospel. If that's you, be encouraged. Even the faithful, hospitable, caring Gaius needed prayer for his physical health. 
we're aware as Christians that health and wealth aren't some, some guarantee for the faithful in this life. In fact, we've been in Acts recently and we've seen consistently through there that despite loving and following God faithfully, Christians do still wrestle with challenges, whether they be health, whether they be outside challenges. Following Jesus doesn't make life all sunshine and roses. So John is celebrating that his friend is spiritually strong and praying that his body would keep up. And the evidence that Gaius' soul is getting along well is that he remains faithful to the truth and continues to walk in it. John seems to be emphasizing here that Gaius' faithfulness isn't just holding to correct doctrine, knowing what is true despite the poor leadership locally, but also living that out, persisting in correct action providing hospitality to these people who needed to be cared for. You know, when I picture Gaius, a couple of people come to mind for me who sort of fit this description. Uh, you know, I'm someone who, I, lo- I love doing woodworking, it's one of my favourite hobbies, and, and uh, I don't have a space at my own place where I've got heaps of shed space there. So uh, there's a very hospitable, caring fellow woodworker in our church, uh, my good friend John Hoogie, and he takes me in and cares for me and gives me a space to work and gives me advice on projects. Uh, as well as, you know, in a woodworking sense, he's also someone who I see as being a bit of a Gaius, someone who isn't divisive, who cares for people, who gets behind fellow Christian workers. Is there someone in your life, or hopefully many people in your life, who you see as being a bit of a Gaius in Christian community? Or perhaps is that something which you're striving to, as we all should? How can we remain faithful in the truth? Would our Christian friends refer to us with similar language that, 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 Gai- that John does about Gaius here? You know, it gives us a, a useful measure of spiritual self-analysis there. Now, what would my physical health look like if it matched my spiritual health? Now, how often do I feed myself spiritually? Am I spiritually starving to death? Do I take in good spiritual nourishing food? Do I keep up good soul exercise, spending time in God's Word, spending time praying, looking to Jesus? When challenges come up, how spiritually fit and ready am I to to respond to those? Maybe this passage, this visual that John gives us is a good reminder to prioritize our spirit's health as well as our body's health. Paul writes in in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. In a context where church leadership was rejecting the teaching passed on from Jesus, Gaius is remaining faithful to the truth, and John finds great joy in that for his friend. Now John wants to encourage him to keep on living this out, despite the bad example of others around him. So we come to the middle section of John's letter, which has the main thrust, as he encourages his dear friend to continue in this faithful love. John here relays that that great report which the brothers and sisters, those traveling missionaries, had brought back about Gaius' hospitality. He says, I just want you to know, man, that the word has gotten around, they've shared how loving and generous and caring you were, and and I just want to encourage you in that. Thank you for showing Jesus to them. Keep on doing that. You're doing such a great job in the gospel. That's John's message to Gaius. 
But who were these traveling Christians whom Gaius had cared for so well? Well, we don't know a whole bunch about these ones in particular, but we know from early church writings that a standard practice in the early church at this time was there were a large number of, of traveling teachers and missionaries going from church to church, encouraging people in each church and, and engaging in mission work, trying to help more people find life in Jesus. And because inns were really dodgy, innkeepers were extortionists, it was, it was really unsafe to stay in an inn, local churches were expected to care for these people. When they identified that they were truly teaching the good news of Jesus, the letter of 2nd John is actually all about identifying if they're actually teaching the good news of Jesus, if they are, to welcome them in, to care for them, to provide them hospitality, and to equip them for the journey ahead. Gaius is doing really well in this. And so, John asks him to keep on doing it. In verse 6 there, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Now, that little phrase there, send them on their way, is actually a really interesting one because it translates a word which is used all through the New Testament to talk about the practical and financial support of of workers in mission and, and ministry. John is asking his friend Gaius to continue in this support by equipping them with all that they need to keep on going on their journey. And the reason he gives for this, the motivation, and what he asks him to do gives us a really good example as we consider how we can support ministry and mission workers in the modern day church. It shows us what to look for when supporting Christian workers and why that support is so important. So first, these workers had gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus. Now, this is all about motivation. Gospel workers worth supporting are motivated by the desire to serve Jesus, wanting His name to be known among others. The motivation for for sharing about Jesus should always be Jesus. That's a good test for our hearts as as well as the hearts of those we consider supporting, what is the motivation for service? You know, if the answer there is something like, it just makes me feel good, or I just love it when people recognize all the work that I'm doing for them, that could be a warning sign. The motivation for true Christian mission is the desire for more people to find life in Jesus, that His name might be known. Second, John says, these people have gone out receiving no help from the pagans. That is, when they're sharing the good news of Jesus, they're bringing people to faith and baptizing them, they're not asking those new Christians to pay for their hospitality and for their support. They've brought along funds and resources to cover themselves. Their ministry has no hint of self-gain. And since the practical cost of their travel and accommodation and food won't be met by the people they're preaching to, it's fitting that other Christians in these established churches should provide them, should support them in this. And third, John says, by supporting these workers, Gaius would become a fellow worker with them in the truth. You know, we might not all be able to to leave our jobs and to go out and, and spread the good news of Jesus in other nations to all people, although I hope that we're all engaged in sharing about Jesus in our own spaces, in our own roles and situations. But, we can be fellow workers with those who are doing full-time ministry by making their work possible. And an important principle emerges here about who we can support, what, what causes we can get behind. 
that we as Christians should finance those enterprises which are focused on the name of Jesus, bringing people to know Him. Those things which the world around us can't be expected to support because the primary goal of these things is to help people find life in Jesus. Indeed, we have an obligation to support these things because while there are many great causes that we can support, we must support our brothers and sisters who are seeking to share the name of Jesus whom the world around won't give support to. This is why we did Justice Sunday last week. It's why we're, operate, we're highlighting Operation Christmas Child today, to highlight these particular group of ministries which are all about practically serving people, helping them, filling their needs in the name of Jesus, so the goodness, the love of Jesus may be known. Ministries like Compassion or IJM or New Life, we support them because by supporting them, we become their co-workers in their mission. So who are you becoming co-workers with in mission and ministry? Now maybe we, you join us as, as we as a church pool our resources and, and we do support organizations like IJM and, and New Life. We partner together and we become, we become their co-workers in the gospel. Maybe you've got particular ministries or, or particular mission workers who you're practically supporting directly. I, I know there are many of us in our church family who are partners, partners in ministry with people who are sharing the good news of Jesus. Whatever that may be, how can we strive to love and support other Christian workers, not just financially, but praying for them, bringing them before the Lord in all things, encouraging them personally wherever we are able to. This passage challenge us, challenges us to consider what we are partnered with, what we are fellow workers in. But if Gaius is doing this so well, as John has made very clear, why does he need to be told to keep on doing it, to keep on supporting well, the reason is there's a problem in the church leadership, and that problem is someone called Diotrephes. Verses 9 and 10 introduce us to him. He's the opposite of Gaius, the opposite of the missionaries he supported. We read, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes is one who loves to be first, who won't accept accountability and who doesn't just reject other believers from outside his church, but throws out of the church anyone who will accept other Christians. Now, sadly, I know that this picture of Diotrephes is actually quite familiar to some in our church family who have been in churches where similar leaders have caused huge damage, or who know people who have been through that. Leaders who strive for personal power, who refuse accountability, who reject biblical teaching, and who seek to isolate their church from other believers. The spirit of Diotrephes is one which can and has caused huge damage and is still a threat even today. And looking at this should remind us of the importance to place on good biblical leadership. There's only one head of the church who has all authority, and that's Jesus. And as the head of the church, he has given us a clear system of biblical leadership. 
Our church is led by a body of elders. Each of them has only got one vote. None has more power than the others. And there's a list of biblical requirements which each of them needs to meet to be eligible to become an elder, to be voted in. We find broad accountability within our our denomination, the CRCA. In fact, within Queensland, local churches visit one another regularly. Uh, Elders from each church go for encouragement and accountability to make sure that we're remaining focused on Jesus and not being distracted from His name. Third John contrasts the examples of Gaius and, and of these missionaries he supported with the example of Diotrephes. All of them claiming to to be Christian, all of them part of a church, but living with very different motivations. On the one hand, motivated motivated by Jesus, by the desire for others to see His name, to put Him first. On the other hand, motivated by self, by personal power and prestige and status, to have personal control. And that's a tension which we see in our own hearts as well, not just in the hearts of leaders. What motivates you in your life, in your decision-making? What motivates your choices and your priorities? That's a good question to ask of our, of our leaders, but also of ourselves. Are we looking to Jesus? Does He motivate our key priorities, or are we actually looking to ourselves and what benefits us the most? And as we, as we seek to, to be focused on Jesus first, how should we respond when we encounter a diotrephes? Well, in the final part of his letter, John encourages his dear friend to imitate good, not evil. How should Gaius respond to diotrephes? Well, the natural response to this sort of person is typically to either bow down and, and let them have control or to fight back in the same way, to get angry, to fight fire with fire, But that's not what John calls Gaius to do. John calls Gaius to continue doing what he already is doing so well, to keep on living in the truth, to keep on showing love, not imitating evil, but imitating good. Gaius has probably already been put out of the church by Diotrephes, but that's better than taking up evil on its own terms. John makes the interesting comment there in verse 11, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. You know, we might expect him to say, is not from God, but he says, no, has not seen God. It goes deeper to the reality that once we see God for who he is, we see his goodness, we see who Jesus is, and we want to be like that. More than wanting to be like that, we are made like that. The idea that our good is based on, not our own self-worth, but like Jesse said earlier, looking to Jesus and how good he is. John unpacks this more in his first letter, in the first John. He writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That is, when when we place our faith in Jesus, we're made children of God. He redeems us, He begins to work in us, But that's a work which is a work in progress, which will only be finished when Jesus returns. When we see Jesus fully seeing him in person for all that he is, we will be transformed in an instant. And for now, seeing Jesus, looking to him, having a clear picture of who he is, gazing at him, is the key to spiritual transformation. One which makes a difference in our lives. You know, Snickers ads, I'm sure you're familiar with them. They tell you, you're not you when you're hungry. 
You know, I, I see a Snickers ad, I see someone acting totally unlike themselves, looking totally unlike themselves because they don't have Snickers. They get given a Snickers, they eat the Snickers, then all of a sudden they're back to being their true selves. Well, if we're in Christ, we aren't ourselves when we don't look at Jesus. When we lose our focus on Him, we begin to act like someone and to look like someone who doesn't know Him, who doesn't look at all like Him. That is, when we're saved, when we see Jesus, He begins to renew us. When I look to Him, I then see all that I'm meant to be. Like Jesse said earlier, we look to Jesus. We don't look at ourselves and all our brokenness and weakness and get caught up in that. We look to Jesus and who He is making us to be. When I look to Jesus, I see all that I'm meant to be. When I look away from Him and I sin, I do what is wrong, I actually become less me, less of who God has made me to be. So when a controlling or divisive person is causing problems, we're not called to copy them, to play politics, not to get into a control fight or otherwise copy their tactics. We're not called to imitate evil, but instead to imitate what is good, to look to Jesus, to imitate the good that we see in Jesus, not what other people are doing, and to find fellowship with others who are doing the same. You know, John has written to his dear friend Gaius, he's warned about Diotrephes, and then in verse 12, he gives the good example of someone called Demetrius. Demetrius is, well, is spoken well of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know our testimony is true. It seems to be a character reference for someone either who is also in that local church, or who John has sent back along with the group of missionaries. Demetrius is spoken well of by the truth. That's how Gaius knows that he can trust him. That is, when his life is compared to the truth of Jesus' teaching, he gets a good report. Like Gaius, he is walking in that truth. And there's not much of a better character reference than that, and not much of a better standard for us to evaluate our own lives and the lives of those who are thinking about trusting than that standard. How well does this life, mine or somebody else's, compare to the teaching of Jesus, the truth of what the Bible calls us to be? You know, like Jesse said earlier, that's not someone who pretends that they've got it all together and tries to make themselves look amazing, but someone who reflects the fact that they are looking to Jesus, who puts Jesus first, who loves others more than themselves, who shows humility when they are fail and are open about that, seeking to be made more like Jesus, who upholds biblical truth, who accepts healthy accountability. That's the standard which we strive to. It's a standard which we won't always meet, but when we fall short, we, we are called to continue doing that same thing, not to look at our own failures, but to look to Jesus, to see in Him our true reflection, to look to who He is and be made more like Him. The early church was certainly not without its problems, and neither is the modern counterpart today. There are problems of our sinful human nature, which will be with us until Christ comes again. There are sometimes problems of divisiveness and, and challenge. There are opportunities to put others first in welcoming them. But whatever the challenge, we will find the solution as we look to Jesus and who Jesus is. This letter of encouragement from John to his dear friend Gaius is of huge relevance to us as Christians today. Third John shows us the eternal value of remaining faithful to the truth welcoming and supporting genuine, Jesus-focused 
gospel workers, even when doing so brings us opposition. Because the ultimate proof of the truth we profess to love and the the love which we profess to exercise will be seen not just in words and feelings, but in that gradual transformation of our character as we look to Jesus. And therefore, the transformation of our lifestyle into the image of Jesus. And our attitude toward other believers in welcoming them and caring for them is a key health check for our own faith. So I believe that the the message of 3 John rings true for our church today as well. You are faithful in truth. Remain faithful in love. Imitate what is good. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all that you are and all that you have done for us. We thank you for the salvation you have earned for us by no merit of our own. We ask that you'll continue to work in us, that you'll continue to change and transform us into your image, that we may be more and more like you. Lord, we ask that you will help us to show accountability, you will help us to show love, you will help us to welcome other believers and to support them, becoming their co-workers in the gospel. Lord, when and where we do fall short, help us to look to you, help us to be encouraged by all that you are, not to focus too much on our own shortfalls, but to look to who you are and who you are making us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen.